We are back this week. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Well, first I'm nervous because I have to say her name and it it's, it's a doozy. Um, but we have Sarah Canthaborn. Did I do it? Perfect. Did I do it right? Perfect. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I just call her Sarah K. She's in my phone as Sarah K. Sarah with no H, but Sarah K. Um, Beautiful last name. I just, I'm not very eloquent in speaking or whatever. So, Um, (laughs) but I'm so excited Sarah's here because she's one, one of my favorite people. Like I met her, you were working at Awesomeness TV. And I remember we were having a lunch, but I was like super late for it. And I kind of didn't want to go because it was like one of the, you know, when you have meetings that you're like, are you handling this? Do I need to go to like, is it important that I go? And you have a million other things going on, especially when you live in LA, it's different in Nashville. And I was like, no, 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 I want to go, but I'm going to be late. So I show up late. And I remember like just sitting down, like, and it was one of those moments where like, I sat down mid conversation and then took over the conversation, which Cassie is probably laughing because that's a frequent moment. But I remember like it was because me and you just like spoke, like it, it felt like we knew each other already. Like it just flowed, it just worked. And I was like, oh my God, I love her so much. Like we're going to be friends. Um, and now we are. So um, so I'm so glad that happened. I also remember eating a, some nasty ass vegan burger that day because that's what you do when you live in LA. And the rest is history. But um, actually, it's funny. You're one of the last people I saw before COVID because the last kind of like, you know, fun thing I did before COVID was I threw a Galentine's, Galentine's party Day. and you happened to be in Nashville and you came over. So you're one of like the few people I saw like last year <laughs> besides my immediate family and the barista, you know? Who would have thought? Uh, who would have thought? Cause it was, I mean, and like you were in, I guess you were in town for what, CRS? No, I was in town for work. I was, I had meetings out there and mm. I was like, oh, this is a perfect chance to see Jade since I hadn't yeah. seen you in so long. <laughs> And well, by the way, it happened. I was supposed to be back in Nashville. And I think I remember telling you, I was like, oh, I'll mm-hmm. be back in March. Don't worry. We'll like hang out again. Yeah. And then I canceled my trip. It was a Monday that lockdown happened. <sighs> well, and I think the saddest thing about this week is we should all be at South by Southwest, mm-hmm. but we're not. So mm-hmm. that's another. And it's like, I couldn't believe I had to go through that one year and now two years. I actually like went to the beach this past weekend. Cause I was like, this is the week my body is trained to go somewhere warmer because I've been going to South by Southwest for like 15 years now. And so I just, you know, went to Florida for a few days which was a disaster because you know they don't wear masks there. Um, so it's yeah. crazy I out there, isn't it? Yeah, it's really crazy. Um, would have rather, would have always rather then it's, I call it my music industry spring break, South by Southwest, but I feel good that it will happen next year. I also feel good that CMA Fest will happen next year. And if nothing else, even if it's just like me going to their houses and demanding it, the Backstreet Boys are going to perform a song for me. By oh, the end I'll of go with year. you. Me, me, me. Okay, great. Let's do it. <laughs> I really Uh-oh. miss the Backstreet Boys and seeing them in concert. I know. Actually, I was at my hematologist the other day like my blood doctor because I'm anemic and he was like how have you been and I'd be like I've been really depressed and like we started talking about that and I mean like for real like real depression people and he was like well I feel like you just missed the Backstreet Boys and I was like that is the diagnosis I've been waiting for a real certified doctor to give me since I was 15 like (laughs) I'm depressed (laughs) because I'm not with the Backstreet Boys so I I was like dude you're the first doctor that's nailed it on the head yes I miss the Backstreet (laughs) <laughs> yeah, oh I, miss boy, I miss all boy bands. I just miss going to a show and just feeling no matter how old you are, like 
feeling like you're 15 again or like mm -hmm. 13 or when you went for your first show and your heart's gonna explode out of your heart. You're so excited. I would even right now, I would pay to go see the remaining four members of NSYNC. That's where I'm at in my sorrow <laughs> and wanting to see boy bands, so. I would pay to see Hanson. That's where I'm at right now. Do you know Hanson's one of our clients? I, I love Hanson. They did the the, the beer, the doo-wop beer. Oh whatever. yeah, yeah. Well, the beer is one of our clients. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah, so. Yeah, so that, that's awesome. Um, actually, last time I was at South by, I saw Hanson, which oh. was awesome because I was like, oh, I'm seeing a boy band at South by. I feel like a rebel <laughs> or something. I, I personally think that South by or any festival should be all boy bands. Like mm. all of my girlfriends are hip hop girls. And I like, I'm like, no, I'm like the pop princess. I mm -hmm. love all the pop stuff. And like everyone else is like into hip hop. And I'm like, I can't. It's no. Well, there was, and I'm sad you missed it. There was this festival. I think it happened for like two or three years. It was called the Mixtape Festival. And oh. it was in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And it was like warp tour for boy bands. Oh. And I don't know. Like it was, I was high for like three days on boy bands. Like it was, it was insane. Like the stories, it's just, oh, we need to make it happen again. I was actually thinking of that. I mean, I think about it a lot, but like really thinking about it recently. I'm like, we need to like figure out how to revive Mixtape Festival, Cassie. Like it, it needs to happen. I agree. It was super fun. And I just love there being like a pop centric festival. It's, it's not about yes. being, because I feel like festivals like have somehow become attached to also being really cool. Yeah. And I like that that one's not about that. It's just about like fun and pop music and not about like the like trendy factor. Like you have fashion, you have to dress a certain way. It's about just like a good time with straight up fun pop music. Yeah, it was so, I think the best part, honestly, was when we saw Aaron Carter perform in the pouring down rain. Do you oh. remember that? It was crazy. Oh, oh, I remember it. It was awesome. This is also before Aaron Carter turned into, I guess, a porn star at this point. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> there, there's a lot, but we've always loved Aaron Carter. But we're going to actually get into all this, I feel like. You know, I actually went, because I, I, you probably know where this conversation is headed. I went and kind of like, cherry picked your resume and like pulled out the parts I want to talk about. <laughs> I figured. <laughs> and, and honestly, like I kind of forgot about that because Cassie was just like, oh, Sarah wants to do the podcast. I'm like, oh my God, I love Sarah. Let's do it. And then today I was like, okay, I'm going to sit down. I was like, oh my God, wait. Oh my gosh, wait. <laughs> I'm so excited. So, okay. But let's go ahead and like formally introduce you now that we've talked for 10 minutes. So Sarah has worked in the music industry for 20 years. And you know what's weird about that? I read that statement and at first I thought, God, that's like so long. Like she's done this for so long. And then I was like, oh, so have I. And, and it's weird. Cause like you see that, I see that number and I immediately think that person has done so much more than me. They've been around so much longer than me. Cause it doesn't feel like 20 years. It doesn't but have it. It has been, you know, it's crazy. So she's been in for 20 years, Cassie and I, I mean, together we've got 60 years, like we're almost retired together, you know? So Sarah has been in the music industry for 20 years. Um, she has worked at places like Viacom, MTV, Nickelodeon, ABC, NBC Universal, and more. Uh, she's currently the head of talent development at Apple, overseeing Apple Music radio host talent, as well as working with talent in Apple Music One, Hit, and Country. So, you know, just an all around badass that's kind of done everything. I walked, speaking of that, it's so funny because I was thinking through like what I thought you guys would want to talk about. And I was like, 
going back to my Nickelodeon days, like, you know, and, and Nickelodeon was such a fun job because I was working with like Emma Roberts and Jamie Lynn Spears and Drake Bell. And it just reminded me of like all of the fun things that I used to do with talent prior to social media, like the world of entertainment and music and all of this was so incredibly different. And I was like, oh my God, I walked Emma Roberts down her first red carpet. Like what's the, what's the twin movie? The, um, Ashley and Mary Kate. It was a movie. Oh, like so, oh the New York Minute. New York Minute. That yeah. was the first red carpet she was going to walk. And it was the cutest thing. I remember getting there and meeting her and we had to practice her walk. And I just remember thinking, oh, this kid is the cutest thing ever. And to be able to have that memory and like, remember how um, easy, like how different red carpets used to be and how simple it was before to now. Like, it's just, it's such a different world. But, you know, even like Jamie Lynn, like, going from like her first TV show and now she's like a mom and you know has two kids and I think living in Nashville right and I remember she was just this little kid that was just doing Zoe 101 and we were shooting at Pepperdine it was just such a different vibe and kids could still I feel like be like kids because there was no social media around and you could kind of like have your own autonomy still. Yeah, I just, and it's interesting because I feel like during that part, that's when we, Cassie and I were working in country music. And so I didn't see all that stuff, but I mean, like I was, I was consuming all that stuff and I loved all that stuff and it was so much fun to us. By the way, Drake Bell, he was one that gave, like he was one that made my heart, heart race a lot because he did things that if, if we were in today's day and age, it would be all over the place, which by the way, he was right. Like a couple of years ago, but I loved that kid so much. And he was just, he didn't have a direction. And I remember just mm. being that talent person for him and just loving this kid and being like, oh, don't do that. Like, stop. So it's just, I was talking, I don't know who it was, somebody yesterday. And I was just like, dude, I would never want to be famous. Like mm. I thought as a kid, that would be so much fun. And I'm just like, it is, it's too much. A lot of pressure, like, especially as a kid. Yeah. I mean, and I, I mean, even like the, therapy we've gone through dealing with being the people taking care of these people it's it's insane like I can't I can't imagine it like actually being me you know so especially these Nickelodeon kids and Disney kids and I worked at Radio Disney at that time so like you know I was doing all that and it's oh it's insane but I obviously want to talk about your time at MTV you worked at MTV I mean look I think different people might call different periods kind of like the golden age of MTV but to me this is part of the golden age of MTV, in my opinion. So you were basically there from 2004 to 2006. Yeah. And so what I'm thinking in my head is like, oh, that was during that time when Ball Out Boy became big. People started like loving that whole emo scene phase, which obviously I did. Yeah. And the Backstreet Boys put out my favorite album, Never Gone, during that time. And there's there's just so much happening. Like this was the time period where me and Cassie met each other when we first went to college together. Um, and it, it's right before we started Crowdsurf. And um, I actually got to finally go to TRL one time. Cassie, did you go more than one time? I, no, I only went when we were there at the Click Five. Okay, so we, we literally drove Cassie's broke ass down car from Kentucky <laughs> to New York City, like 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 to Times Square and parked to see this band, the Click Five. Do you remember oh, them? I remember the Click Five. Yeah, we were like hardcore Click Five groupies. Like the only band I've seen more than the Click Five is the Backstreet Boys. Boys. 
Like, and the thing is, I saw the click five 54 times within the span of probably 18 months. Oh man. Like that was how hardcore it was in like four countries. It was, it was a thing. And, um, we wanted to go the day the click five were there. So we got to go and I got to announce a song. I was very excited. They made me like audition in the hallway (laughs) and my face popped up in the middle of a black eyed peas video. And, uh, it was a moment. I remember Nick Cannon was there. It was like, it was like a dream come true. Like I was going up the elevator and I'm bawling and people are like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I'm going to TRL. Like this had been my dream for like, you know, at that time, probably six years. Like that was like the Mecca for me. Um, And it was just so, it was such a special time, you know? It it really was. It was my absolute dream drop. And I just have to tell you really quickly because the person who interviewed me that used to oversee Mm -hmm. the department and I'm blanking on Tom's last name, but anyways, he interviewed me and was like, who's your favorite? This, you're going to die. And like, people will probably like discredit me, but like, who's your favorite artist? And I said, air supply. And it was just one of those things where I remember like being, there's a story behind it, but I remember Mm -hmm. like being like, I've totally lost this job. Like I'm never going to work in this business again. And I got the call the next day that I got the job. And it wasn't until like five years later that I was like, or maybe 10 years later that I was like, why'd you give me the job? Like I didn't answer that question in a way that I should have. He's like, because you answered it in a way that nobody else would have. And I was like, holy crap. Like I got this job, my dream job. And I didn't even say like, fall out boy, the all American rejects, Chris Brown was a new thing. Like Mario was a big thing. Like all of these people that would have been like in line with MTV and TRL and I blew it and I still got the job. And Jade, I every day would get to Times Square and I would go up those escalators. You remember those escalators and you just- And they're still there. (laughs) I've been up and down them many times now. And it's like all of your hopes and dreams and all of the things that you imagine It is all of that and more. And I got to experience like Miley Cyrus and Ashley Tisdale like doing their first co-hosting there. I introduced Chris Brown to Jennifer Aniston. like. All of these moments that I just, it's like, I can't even begin to tell you, like just as an executive, but as a fan and as somebody, and like, this is why I was so excited to talk to you guys because your entire business is based around fandom and the ability to be a fangirl. And I lived my like dream job and was able to work with everyone and anyone. And I was like, no one appreciates this more than Jade and Cassie. Like nobody does because you guys get the excitement. And obviously like we have to like know when to be like, okay, executive, you know, or holy crap, like so-and-so's next to me and I can like melt or like be okay. I mean, you, I mean, you saw my Pete Wentz post the other day, like he fake proposed to me because it was like, like, I can't remember, we were having a conversation about something and it was like a pressure thing. And I think he felt, but I was like, I'll take it. Like, who cares? Like I will be Miss Wentz one day and I am good with that. Um, Never happened, but I have the fake ring, all good. There you go. I mean, uh, yes, I have, my mom, I remember at some point she called me and she was like, I'm going to throw away your collection of boy band water bottles. It's disgusting. And she, and I was like, it's okay. Like they've been, like they've been rotting in the house for a decade or so, but you know, things like that. Like I have, I have several fallout boy guitar picks. I can tell you each one, when I got it, how I got it, what song I got it during. Um, I remember one time like pulling a string off a carpet 
that fallen boy had played on and it was like oh my god i forgot about the string (laughs) my finger was almost bleeding because i wanted a piece of this fucking carpet and i was like i have to have a piece of this carpet and i have the string um but i get it i I totally get it so and you know what's great about like like if we're just gonna talk about fallout boy for a second they're just such great midwestern boys that just love music and it was always so great to have them because they just like they were just like regular people who were rock stars and yeah they were always so kind to everyone and i think that's the one thing that i really appreciate about when you work with with artists it are the ones that are just like i'm just like you you know i'm just famous but it's that's one thing that i appreciate about them yeah i think like the i realized this over time but i think like the key as to why fallout boy was so easy to relate to was because they loved bands the way we loved them Mm -hmm. and so like they like they truly understood their fan because like you know I don't remember what award show it was there was some award show and Pete jumped on stage with uh Green Day and then like you know I remember him like fangirling when they were on tour at Blink-182 and like all this stuff and it was just like oh you get me because you are me Right. You know, and like knowing that was just so, I don't know, like humanizing, I guess. Um, and then I realized like, oh, this is like why you get it. Like, this is like why you do these things. You do, Because they were doing like out of the box marketing that no one was doing. Like I'm still copying them. <laughs> like that's, that's kind of how it is. I'm also actually, today is the anniversary of Save Rock and Roll. So I had on that t-shirt earlier, but I went walking in it. But I mean, just the way that they have catered to their fans, I have just... I think the only person I would give credit to say has done that as well, maybe better. I don't know. I can't decide. Would be Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift's amazing. She's just reinvented herself in so many ways, but kept at the heart of who she is the same from like the day she started to now. I love that girl. I would give my firstborn for Taylor Swift and Pete Wentz to write a song together. Well, they're oh they're both, both, both entities are amazing at words. I think that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's something that, and that's, I think that you have to have words to have the certain type of fan bases that both of those artists have. Like words are what, like the music's great, but like, yes, technically the songwriting and everything is great, but the words are what really make like the fans, I think really fall for you. And they have, they both are amazing with lyrics. They're real people that tell real stories. Yes. Yeah, it's amazing. Sure. But in like a way that like you understand it completely, but you never would have been able to tell it the way they did. Exactly. 100%. Like, yeah. exactly, exactly. Like, like you feel all these things and like you wish you could have written. It's like the, I wish I could have written that song type of thing, mm-hmm. but like actually really, you know, it's why you tattoo the words on your body. And we just agree that Shawn Mendes is kind of like a 20 something God, or is it just me? Cause I love that kid. I mean, I, I do. I don't know. He feels a little young for me to like. I don't know. I don't he just know. feels I don't like, like a John Mayer in the making. I don't know. He just yeah. he is. I don't. I guess he's I lyrically just... there for me. Um, <sighs> I do. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's one of the nicest people I've ever met, and I and I imagine. I think is he's young. Like his best album hasn't been written yet, in my opinion. You know, like, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. Like, cause like John Mayer, like I remember, I remember I'd like seeing him in high school and like, but his best albums were yet to come at that point. I think Shawn Mendes is kind of at that point as well. I mean, I don't disagree with you. I I just think that he already has some amazing, an amazing body of work. And also like to be able to 
come in at a time where, you know, Justin Bieber had already done that influencer to, mm -hmm. you know, music star, and like a lot of people were questioning, is that, is it, is anyone else going to be able to break through in the yeah. way that Justin has? And he has, and he's like a bona fide star now, which is like amazing because it's hard to break that. I, that I think is the difference between music also back in the day and music now is that because of social media and because of just um, YouTube and, and Instagram and all these things, like um, there are different opportunities, but there's also a lot of like saturation in the market. So like back in the day, it was like Backstreet, you know, NSYNC, like new kids, they were like far and few between them. So for him to be able to uh, literally come out of the pack and become a superstar is like amazing. Yeah, it was interesting. I was reading today about a woman, she actually, she had passed, but they were, they were writing kind of like her accolades and she was in country. I believe she worked at ASCAP, but it was, it was talking about all of the different artists she brought in and they were all country music superstar names. And it was interesting because I thought about it and I was like, yeah, but like back in the day, like a label had less artists and they put their money only into the, so it's like, it was one of those things where it was like, not that these people were not worthy of saying they could have been superstars, they were superstars, whatever. And there were still artists that failed. But it's interesting because it's like, I think of like, you know, my roster and, and the hundreds of artists that I've worked with. And I think what I love about what we do is being able to work with superstars, but also work with people like Andy Grammer, who has like a pretty normal life, yeah. has a bunch of hit singles and can like have a balance, you know? And like, that's okay. Yeah, do you know what I'm saying? Like, sure. or Hanson continuing to do their thing or whatever it is. And I think that's awesome because like back in the day, like those people would have gotten lost. They would have been a one hit wonder. They wouldn't continue to make albums, you know? Right. And it's cool that we can do that now. But also think about like NKOTBSB, like yeah. that tour really revitalized the careers of like New Kids on the Block and Backstreet Boys. And like from there, there were all of these like 90s and early 2000s acts that were able to like get their touring back because of that one yeah. tour. And that tour like could probably go on forever. And I would see it every time and I would see it in multiple states. For sure. This is definitely a goal of mine as somebody who, you know, I feel like I may have like a small ounce of influence on the Backstreet Boys. It, it, it's, it's on the radar. Let me tell you. I mean, NKOTBSB was a show for the ages. I will never see a concert ever that feels the way NKOTBSB did. It was just the production alone. The, the most high quality production I can ever remember. And, you know, I think the coolest thing about it was one for me, I was like the perfect age because at eight or nine, my life was in KOTB. 16 and on, my life was BSB. Right. And so being able to see that, to, it was a lot. Like seeing Nick Carter and Joey McIntyre in one oh. place do is kind of like- one? Do you one? Is your favorite my favorite? Well, here's the thing. Growing up, it was Joey- and Nick. And then when I got older, it was Donnie and AJ. Man, I was also yeah. Nick and Joey. And I think Joey will be it forever for me. And for Backstreet, same Nick. So I didn't change. It's, I mean, look, it's not, I mean, like, I'm AJ's manager now. <laughs> it's not that, but there was a phase. Like during Never Gone, I was real into AJ for a minute. I hope he doesn't hear this. And like he was like- It's the, the bad boy thing. Oh, yeah. It was the bad boy thing. And it was like, oh, you're kind of like a fallout boy version of my boy band. <laughs> but I remember like we were at a meet and greet and Cassie was like, oh, 
you look really rock and roll today. You're totally going to get AJ's attention. I was like, oh good. Is my nose ring straight? Like, <laughs> So funny but um now he's just like a goofy old man to me it's just it's funny but but I will say I don't know Nick Carter as well as I know AJ again because like we manage AJ and so like there's still like a, a, I can always keep a tiny bit of mystery with him even when like he farts on me and hands me a cell phone and tells me to ah. do something but then he gets on stage and I'm like oh <laughs> oh <laughs> I'm done <laughs> like I am done for you are amazing you're perfect please continue performing forever so yes it will it will always be Nick Carter for me and yeah, Cassie I too I so can we can can we when you guys like start this you know mixtape reunion concert mm-hmm. whatever like again I know just to go back to NSYNC because I really think that when I was growing up it like it, there was always like the backstreet versus in sync kind mm-hmm. of thing. And mm-hmm. I personally was always an in sync gal. Like I mm-hmm. was like in sync or die. And then what shifted everything for me was definitely the NKOTB SB tour. Ah. And then I was like, wow, I spent all of this time ignoring these guys and this is where it's at. And I have to say, like, in terms of like how they've matured into like older pop stars, I feel mm-hmm. like Backstreet's done it so well in the sense mm-hmm. that like, you know, they may have like, like, I think Kevin was gone for a while and then he was like, mm-hmm. I'm back, but they've evolved so much and also like have been able to still make amazing pop music. But my yeah. point being is at some point, I need you guys to get in sync back together, whether or not Justin's there they have to get back together. We need to make this a NKOTBSB in sync or whatever that is going to be. I mean, oh, I don't know if I should say, okay, I'm going to say this without naming names, but I will tell you later. I've okay. never talked about this before. There is another member of another boy band who told me in confidence, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spill this now. It's been here since he told me this, that the remaining members of NSYNC came to him and asked him to basically come reform and replace Justin. And he agreed it didn't make sense. I also agree it was the wrong move for this person who I will tell you in in private. Um, But that was probably eight years ago that that conversation was had. But I, I just, and the thing is I've heard other rumblings in like in this like inner boy band circle world that these other people do want to do this, it would not surprise me in the least if it somehow happened. I think they all, I mean, I feel like JC is kind of like off the map, but I feel like the other three are still like making appearances. I'm so-and-so from NSYNC, I'm doing the thing. Like I can see it being three of them. I don't know. That's just my vibe from kind of running into this crowd all the time. So. I just, I feel like for NSYNC, it was always like, all of them and then and Justin and mm-hmm. but I would really it would be interesting to like discuss like who could that person be like who has the singing chops that Justin has to be able to get in there like in the same way that um Adam Lambert joined Queen right like yeah. like that is like taboo right to be like okay we're gonna have you join yeah and he was you know who I think play. could do it Justin Bieber oh he could do it. You're so right. He really. What do you think, do Cassie? It. Why would he do that, though? It's, it's the same. No, no, we're just we're just saying in theory. In theory, yes. just in, in theory. theory. Yeah, we're I daydreaming. Think I think he's talented and charismatic enough. Yes. Yes. Sure. Cassie's like it's never yes. going to happen. Just a daydream. I, I think it'd be more likely for Justin Timberlake to come back. Wow. <laughs> I, yeah, I agree. Uh, I agree. <laughs> but I'm just thinking, like she's saying, like who would be the person? Because again, 
the person I'm talking about was not the person. Like who would, I don't know if it could be anybody. Cause the thing is, I think it would have to be though, like she's saying, somebody where like Adam Lambert is generations later. So that's why I was going in like, the, you know, yeah, yeah. I was gonna, yeah, that Justin Bieber thing. Cause like nobody, here's the thing. The only other person who could do it from their generation would be a Backstreet Boy and that's not fucking happening. Oh yeah. my God, if that happened, the world would be like, that'd be like the- I would explode in a bad upside way. upside down world. I don't even know no. about that. Just that's no. insanity. Just no. Can we talk um, about Britney though, really quickly? Like I, I never got to see her in Vegas and I'm pretty sad about that. And I just oh, want the world to open because I just, honestly, like for me, Britney is all about the experience. It's not really mm -hmm. like the voice. It's about the dancing and the, the spectacle yeah. and all of that. And I don't know. I, I That's the one thing I want to do when quarantine's over is see Britney Spears in Vegas or anywhere. I don't give a shit. Did you ever see Britney Spears? I have seen Britney Spears, but it was, I was like in my early twenties at the Irvine Meadows when it was the Irvine Meadows. Mm -hmm. And I was so far back that it was embarrassing that like this Sarah would be like, mm, you couldn't like do anything better than that. <laughs> and it was just, I mean, yeah. and, you know, you see her at award shows. I, I'd see her at award shows here and there, but like to see like from beginning to end her do the whole thing. I've never seen that like where I could <sighs> really be present. So that yeah. I definitely want to see. Cause I do think that, she is like the pop, she'll always be like one of those pop princesses that like, no matter if she could sing or not, like Christina could never, even though Christina's got this voice of an angel, but Britney just had all of the components to make a pop star. I I mean, my favorite Britney tour was probably, I don't know what it would be called. I guess it would have been the Oops, I Did It Again tour. But but during that time, like that was my favorite tour I saw her do, but- Wait, can I just tell a story really quickly that I think is yes. hysterical? Because prior to you getting on, um, Cassie has a Robin Thicke plaque behind her. Oh, absolutely. And circa 2006, when Robin Thicke was like, like the hottest thing in the universe, right? There we go. Yeah. Love this plaque. I think it's one of the most creative plaques I've ever seen. So- there was going to be a huge meeting at MTV with Robin. And I, at the time, was on the celebrity side. So I mm -hmm. was meeting with this new up-and-coming actress named Paula Patton. Mm. So Sarah, you know, is like, okay, she's having this meeting. She's excited, but like not really, because then she finds out that Robin Thicke is coming at the same exact time. And I don't know what to do. I like, I emailed the studio. Hey, can you push this a bit? They couldn't push it. I didn't know why. I was a little annoyed, but but I was like, okay, I'm gonna make the most of it. I'll have a great meeting, and then maybe I'll run up to meet Robin. So I go downstairs into the green room, which is where I usually had my meetings. And Paula Patton's like the loveliest, most gorgeous woman around, and she could tell that I'm a little kind of like not there. And she's like, "Are you okay?" And I was like, "Yeah, you know, I'm good, but like, I'm just, you know, I'm sorry to like be that person." But like Robin Thicke is here. And like, I was like really, you know, kind of upset that I couldn't be in Robin Thicke's meeting and she starts cracking the fuck up. I was like, why are you laughing? She's like, well, you know, that's my husband. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? It was the most hysterical thing ever because I had no idea. Oh my gosh. And so we ended up becoming fr like friendly for yeah. time because she thought that was hysterical. And, you know, she was so up and coming. She's the sweetest person. And I remember thinking, I am such an asshole. And, you know, like the internet and, and like Google and all that 
wasn't really a, like it was the early 2000s, right? Like yeah. it yeah. wasn't like now where Jade's like, what about this? And we're all Googling it or figuring yeah. it out. So I felt kind of like an asshole, but if that ever happened to me today, I would actually be that. But I remember that story just like was like one of my favorite stories about my time at TRL, just because I was like, oh, you're actually married to the guy that I'm literally obsessed with right now. And so I love it. Woman in this I love it. Anyway, so much. Um, you know, it's funny. I thought you were going to say that that was like you introduced them and that's how they met because I didn't know how oh, long I they were together. But them. yeah, but actually, so, you know, they broke up and I was working with him at the time. And then he wrote a song called, I think it was called Want You Back or something like that, like to get her back. And he performed it on, I think it was the Billboard Awards. That was the night that we met one of our star employees who like literally like walked into my life that night and like changed my life. And it was, that was the reason that it happened. So, oh, you no, know, I she was, was but, but I am very proud of being the person that introduced Chris Brown to Jennifer Aniston. Like that, yeah. I like. And That's that amazing. was like, just like amazing. And I feel like that picture, if you Google it, like it's still like, you know, cause th- we always had a photographer backstage and there was always like yeah. some awesome photo that would come out of it. And I always remember like, we used to, uh, you probably know this, but <clears throat> there was in the back. So TRL, you would like look up and it'd be like right there. And, mm-hmm. But around the corner was where everyone would get dropped off. Mm-hmm. And so um, they, they were, there was always a photographer. And, and when I was there, I'd always be like, God, what, like, am I ever gonna come out like in Us Weekly? Like I always yeah. thought, and it was always like, like one eighth of my arm or like <laughs> my toe. And I'm like, I I just want, I just want to like, be like, mom, like, look, I'm here. But um, there are so many great stories about the time at MTV and TRL because it was when you could actually be a fan, right? Like you could actually, you, it was like musty TV. You waited until three o'clock. You couldn't wait until Carson or Caduce or Vanessa or any of Damien came on and you saw your favorite boy band and to be able to actually be there when there was a live performance. And for me, it was like Shakira was going to perform. And I just remember like, oh, like, cause I'm Colombian. So I remember being yeah. like mind completely blown. But my favorite stories were always like the behind the scenes shit that like mm-hmm. we all get to see that like no one believes. And it's like, you know, I, I just have two really quick stories because I feel like you would love these more than anything. Oh, that's just what I want. Like, I want all of these stories. Like, plus, like, I've had so many moments in that building now, like, professionally. Like, before you go into them, just a quick story. So, um, you remember MTV Fanatic. Yeah. You were on so, it, weren't you? No, that was, like, my dream in life. And I thought that was the only way I would ever meet the Backstreet Boys. So, I spent, like, six months of my life making the most ridiculous video for Fanatic. And then, on my high school field trip... We were in the same building because the Scarlet Pimpernel was playing in where the Lion King ended up being. And I snuck out of the play, took my VHS of my, you know, fanatic video, and I went up the elevator <laughs> and handed it to the people at the desk. Um, and it was so crazy because like, that was that. I'm sure nobody ever saw it. I'm sure it went in the trash, whatever. You know, I don't know what it was, 15, 20 years later, 20 years later, probably. 2018, I went to the VMAs with the Backstreet Boys, and earlier that day, we went to TRL. First I was of all, with like, you. I saw you that were night. Were you? Okay. I saw but you I was just night. like, oh my God, like I'm at TRL with the Backstreet Boys. But we went in that back way to that elevator that goes in front of that desk, mm-hmm. and I'm walking in front of that desk, escorting the Backstreet Boys, the same place on the earth where I like handed over my only chance I ever thought it would be to meet the Backstreet Boys. And I was like, damn. 
Like I, I almost started crying. I saw you that day when they were doing press. You and I were mm-hmm. downstairs at, um, is it Rockefeller? Down below yeah. in the basement. And I think I bumped yes. into you. I and- bumped into you and I was freaking out because I had just saw Brendan Yuri. By the way. And I was like awesome, having a freak out. The most awesome guy in the universe. Like I, he came to Revolt when I was at Revolt. And I remember like, being like, cause I, cause I, to be honest, I was never really a Panic fan. By the way, I was I was with Panic at their first ever performance at um, the VMAs one year. The wait, first, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, their really? first performance, like in two thousand six. Do you know Kelty Knight? I don't. Or if I, or if I did, I just don't remember because I'm old. So now. Kelty now she's she hosts that podcast, The Lady Gang. She is. Oh, yeah. a, she's like an Entertainment Tonight reporter. Well, her husband was Robin's manager and then he managed 90 Degrees How I Knew Him. But here's the deal. That night, she was a dancer in that performance and that's how she met and dated Ryan Ross of Panic. And then she wrote a book about it, which is how we became friends and how I started working with Robin. It's like, like the the music industry is so incestuous. I had this conversation earlier. But I, but I, and by the way, I would have never even remembered that I, so they were on Atlantic Records at the time and my friend Doug was a label rep and I happened to be the MTV talent rep on Panic. And I remember thinking, God, it's such a beautiful performance. But that was like, kind of like I was in and out because it wasn't, to be fair, it wasn't their best performance, right? Like, you know, it was the first big stage they ever, but by the way, so whatever, years later, I'm at Revolt and um, one of my hosts slash producers, like I heard news that Panic's coming back. We should get Brendan in, talk about it, blah, blah, blah. Somehow we get him in anyways. Uh, he comes in and he, and like, I get a phone call and I'm like, hello. He's like, Hey, am I at the right place? And it's, he's the nicest, nicest guy. Unless he's changed his number. I'm sure I still have it. But my point being is I was like, like, I was just like, this guy is so awesome. Like he's just a cool dude. And then he comes out with, um, what, what's the, what's the album that the Taylor, why am I blanking? Yeah. me. Me. Yes. And I am like blown away. And the thing that I love about panic is that they have a, a fan base from the early 2000s and they have a completely and utterly new fan base that's now, that, that like, not, it's not the same as like Fall Out Boy, like, right? Like, in, it, it's just this insane ability to connect different generations. And Panics, I feel like the only band that has been able to do that. Let me ask you this though, because you say it's not like Fall Out Boy, but have you seen both of them in an arena in the past maybe two or three years? I have. But by the way, no, no, I don't mean, I mean differently in the sense that the fandom that Panic has at this Mm -hmm. moment is similar to the exact fan base, a different age group in the early 2000s. See, that's how I- Consistent across- No, 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 that's how I feel about Fall Out Boy. Like- Really? Because I mean, obviously I go to a ton of Fall Out Boy shows and like, you know, I started seeing this transition when they came back in 2013. And I mean, I've probably seen them 20 times since then, like just in like the newer period. And like every year I get to be the older and older and older person in the audience. And it gets younger and younger and younger around me. And it's actually kind of, I would say like on the last tour they did, it was hard to find people in the audience that were like probably around in 2005. It was yeah. mostly young. Right, like but a that's whole my point. new fan you base. You go to a yeah. panic show and you've got panic people that are my age and mm, younger. You got it, mean? got it, it's got like, it. It's like both crowds as opposed to Fall yeah. Out Boy where they're getting younger. But I feel like with both of them though, like I just think it's been it's been so amazing seeing both of them survive. Right. Do you but know what I'm, Not only survive, camp, but thrive. Right? 
They're from yeah. the same camp. Like yeah. there's common... well, I mean, like Pete discovered Panic and then right. signed them. And this... rock bands in general, I think, can do that. And there, this, there, there are the 2000s versions of rock bands. Like Aerosmith can do that. ACDC can do that. Like I see kind of the same, you know, sort of wide breadth of audience and demographic at those sort of shows as well. It's just that it's even wider at those shows. Like when you go see ACDC at like Dodger Stadium mm-hmm. because they've been around longer. And I think that we'll yeah. see... I think we'll see Paul Boy and Panic do that. And I think that's really cool. Oh, I, that, I can't wait. Like, honestly, like, I can't wait to be able to see, like, these shows again. And just, like, I just can't wait to see shows in general. Like, just, I, I'm just, it's, like, the one thing that I'm, I'm waiting for. And I think we've all been lucky enough to see a lot of the, the acts that we really care about. And so there aren't too many that I, like, that I'm, like, dying to see. Like, I will say, I, like, I'm dying to see Chris Stapleton just because his voice mm. is so amazing. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to like pop or like these um these like emo rock bands, like I've seen, you know what I mean? Like we've we've seen them. Yeah. So it'll be just like an added cherry on the Sunday. Yeah. Um, who are you? I mean, who are you waiting to see? Like, who do you want to see like now that we've been in quarantine with no shows or I anything? mean, I mean, it's who I've been talking about. It's the Backstreet Boys and Fall Out Boy. I mean, that's it. Cause like those are, I mean, I don't know, like th- that's where I feel alive. Like it, it's like going home to me. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I haven't been to my parents' house in a while. I'm going to go. Th- that's how it feels. Yeah. And it's like this moment of like, I belong here. Everyone here is like me. Nobody here is going to judge me. We're all in this together. Like, like that's how that feels to me. It's so, like, that's, that's where it is, you know? Other than that, I would say like a band that I haven't seen for a very, very long time. That's a very important part of my life is no doubt. Oh, no doubt. Oh my God. No doubt has like, cause I'm from Long Beach, right? Like I'm from right. Long Beach, uh, California. And I like Gwen Stefani was just is, and has always been like that quintessential cool rock and roll chick. What I loved about her the most is when, like when she was younger and she went through that braces stage and she still fucking killed it and was still like, whatever, I am who I am. I've had the best moments of my life to, to like, no doubt music or Gwen Stefani music, but especially no doubt music yeah um I mean I never really got into Gwen Stefani's a solo artist like for me first of all it was like I hope this is a phase because I want no doubt back you know and some of it I like you know I'll listen to the hits and I'll sing them and, and that kind of thing but like it, it is it's just never even compared in any way like no, no doubt she here's the thing like she's a different brand as a solo artist and it isn't one that like really does much for me well, like no doubt as its own thing she's and a they're star. pop punk like they're yeah. so it's, ska, ska, you know ska? I, ska. yeah they're like ska yeah they're ska and then they kind of went into some reggae stuff and like there's a lot of that but like you know I just no doubt was one of the first concerts I saw when I was I guess I was like 15 and like I can I can tell you everything that happened that whole day I can tell you the songs that were playing on the radio I can tell you where we ate we went to Boston Market I had some macaroni and cheese I can tell you what merch I bought at that show I bought a sticker I put it on the back of my t9 uh what do you call it calculator (laughs) I bought um my friend Jessica bought a t-shirt um we sat on the lawn I like I remember what songs came on and when we freaked out I mean it was just like it was magic. Like I had never experienced something like that. Like I had seen Debbie Gibson when I was in third grade and that was one thing. And that's one memory, but no doubt was just like, I don't know. It was a whole new thing for me. It was like, it was, a, it was like being more of like, you know, I, you know, you're, you're nine and you see Debbie Gibson, but then you're 16, 15, whatever. And you're starting to like really idolize an adult and like form your identity around this. And like, I don't know, it was life-changing. Seriously. It was amazing. For sure. For sure. Wait, I just, I, I do want to, I want to tell you this story though. Cause, cause okay. I feel like only like you will appreciate the story. When I was at TRL. Um, we, we used to have, I think we were on at five o'clock 
and everyone would go to MTV and then they would go to Letterman. God, we're so old that Letterman was still around. So, I loved Letterman. That was so my too, favorite show. But I'm just saying loved in it. general, Letterman's yeah. been gone for a while. So <laughs> you, we would we would have artists that like, um, Letterman was such an important part mm. of like the route yeah. that, um, that they would come to us and we'd have to have them out by 5.15, right? So they'd get there, you have 15 minutes by 5.15, you have a heart out. So Orlando Bloom had come in and he had a heart out and I remember thinking, okay, on the next break, I'll grab his arm, we'll walk off, we'll get him out of here. And I can't remember who his publicist was, but it was one of those publicists that you don't fuck with. So all of a sudden, commercial comes, I grab his arm, I feel a tug. The producer grabs his other arm. They're like, we're not done with him. And I'm like, yes, you are, it's 5.15. We're having a full on tug of war while the audience is staring at two crazy women and Orlando's kind of like looking left, looking right, doesn't know what to do. I think finally I gave in and gave them like five more minutes because the publicist was like, let them come to find out the cameras were rolling the entire time. I was mortified. I was like, Wait, can we find this? Can we no, find this God, footage? You can't find it. But I remember thinking I literally just made Orlando be a rag doll and I'm so embarrassed. But it was like probably one of those things. It's like, wait, I was able to like have Orlando be a rag doll. It's like, that was so fun and cool. Yes, Even yes. though it's like not. Um, but like, was, I, 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 yeah, I understand. It's like, so like, it's like the moments that I had, like, because it was live TV. Oh my God, there's, um, oh, there's two more stories I have to tell you if, if you have, if you'll entertain them. Yes, I I've, like literally, like I want to do five episodes with you because oh. you lived a dream that I wanted to be a part of so bad, you know? But, you know, but it was like, it was interesting because like some of it was amazing and the other stuff was like horrific because it's live television, right? Like, yeah. And so I was, we were in San Diego, we were doing spring break in San Diego and Jack Black, was flying from LA to San Diego. And we, and he was Hold our on. first guest. Oh God. <laughs> I, okay, I've just had an ongoing joke. I don't even know if it's a joke. I just suggested once, maybe 15 years ago, Cassie, I think the perfect man for you would be Jack Black. And I was completely serious. And she thinks it's the worst idea or insult ever. So it's just a funny- He's the best guy. He's, he's probably one of my favorite people that I ever worked with back, back in the day. Um, and, and I feel like it's funny because I went from like working with all of these like established like really big superstars and then like, you know, cut to awesomeness where I'm, I'm doing the opposite side of the coin where I'm working with influencers that are like trying to get to that status. So I, I flipped the coin. So um, it's 2.50, it's 2.30, Jack's not there. 2.50, Jack, no one's answering, he's in the air. So finally the producer's like, what are we doing? I'm like, he'll get here. So they finally at like, 2.45, I want to say, because traffic was much different back then. 2.45, the publicist calls me. They're like, we're here. We don't know how we're going to get to you. Um, I beg, I beg the San Diego PD to go pick them up. They're like, we can't do that. I'm like, I beg them. I say, I'll give you whatever you need, an autograph photo. I'll give you a signature. Whatever you need, I will get you. So all of a sudden, not even kidding, two minutes before we're going live, a cop car pulls up and it's like, Jack like flies out of this passenger seat. And um, Matt LeBeau, who's his publicist, if you guys know Matt, like he's a very like, you know, influential publicist. He had all the comedians. He had every comedian you could think of. 
he's in the back and he like pops out and I'm just like dying because you don't put Matt in the back of a cop car. Jack literally without fail drops out. He's like, what do you need me to do? Producer produces him and he has to ride a bike into the opening scene. And with 20 seconds to go, Jack gets on the bike and says, I got this. And I remember thinking, holy mother of God, how did I manage to get Jack Black on live television when he was in the air, not but half an hour ago? And San Diego PD did something they never did. And I remember thinking, what? This is my job. And I crushed it today. Because, you know, those, those moments where you like, you can't control some of these things, right? Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of these moments where you're just like devastated. And you're like, something didn't go right. And nobody knows because if it's a win, like you're never really the savior, right? Like somebody's like, I did this, like it was me. So like, you're kind of like the un unsung hero, except for those moments where you could just be like, I did that. I did that. Your family. I, that was an amazing story, you know? And so uh, like- I have so many great memories and stories of like, you know, I remember Hoobastank was big um, for me. Remember their first performance, like the rejects, like I spent a new year's with them and, you know, just being able to like hang out with like people that are rock stars and celebrities, but also like just normal everyday people. And uh, my philosophy has always been like, everybody says yes to them all the time when you treat these people like they're normal people, they respect you more because mm -hmm. nobody calls their baby ugly. And and it's okay to call their baby ugly because every once in a while, they do need someone to like straighten them out. Like, I'm not wrong. I haven't heard that term before <laughs> and I really like it because I agree. No, like a baby is like, whenever like somebody has like a more good looking baby than normal, I'm like, that baby definitely came through C-section. Yeah, for sure. Their head's perfect. Yeah, their nose mm. isn't like. <laughs> I've never thought about that. That's no, true. C-section babies are so pretty. Oh yeah. I was a C-section baby, so there explains everything. I was yeah. the ugliest C-section baby, but but <laughs> I but I was a triplet, so I had to share the womb with two other babies. Oh and my I god! I didn't know you were a triplet. Yeah, it's me and boys or girls. You okay. and two boys. But I was the ugliest. I just posted a picture the other day on Instagram, and I, and I was like, my nickname is Mona, and I was like, what do you know about Mona, circa 1970s? And my friends like, she's so cute. I was like, are you kidding me? My mom used to hide me. I was so ugly. I would like peek out from her leg from her legs, and my hair was like in 50 different directions. And I just be like, just love me. <laughs> and I said, but the jokes on them. Look who, look who had a glow up in 2021. Yeah, uh, for real. You're so hot. Come on. That's, that's what they get for calling me ugly back in the day. That's what they get. That's what they that's get. What they get. Um, I always think it's funny now because like when I would go to a Backstreet Boys show and be nowhere near the Backstreet Boys, the amount of time it took me to figure out what I was purchasing to wear to that show in case, you know, a Backstreet Boy saw me, wanted to marry me, and my makeup looked, and I had to get a haircut and all this stuff. Now, I'll roll out of bed and show up and be like, what's up? And I'm like, that's so weird to me that like, I don't care now. And that was such a big deal back in the day, you know? But what, isn't that such a great feeling? Actually, it's really funny that, that um, you talk about like picking out what you're going to wear. A, a couple of, uh, maybe it was last year. I think when the, whenever Trolls came out, I was going to the office and like, whatever, I hadn't looked at my schedule and I just threw on my NSYNC sweater, right? Because that's what I do most, mostly one time a week. And I was mad because I couldn't find my sweater and I wanted to wear it because I wanted to like pay homage to both of you. Oh. Um, 
So I go, I go, and all of a sudden, my like two o'clock pops up on my calendar, and it's a meeting with Justin <laughs> because he was coming. Are you serious? He was coming to play the troll soundtrack, and um, and so, but but by that point, I'd forgotten that I was wearing the sweater, and like my my coworker looked at me. They're like, "Did you wear that because he's coming in today?" And I looked down. I was like, "Oh man, I feel like an asshole." And so he gets her and he just like looks at my sweater and he looks at me he's like, and he smiled and I just thought it was funny. And I was like, I promise I didn't know you were coming in today. But by the way, like, I love you. So it was just, it's funny. It's funny that we get to spend our days with these people. And, you know, like I could probably go into my closet, which both of you can and like pull out all this merch. Yeah. And every piece of merch tells a story. And yes, I love it. I don't know. I, I just love being able to go down memory lane with you guys. And one last story, because this one, I actually think, because um, I was talking about Froggy and, um, and he's become such a great friend of mine. And we were talking about touring. So my last VMAs, um, the Pussycat Dolls were my act. And um, this is where I met Froggy. And um, we were about to go live again, another live situation. And one of the girls, and I can't remember which one it was, forgets her mic. We're at Radio City. There's, if you've ever been backstage, there's an elevator, but it goes like, I think between five floors. Mm. So we had already made it to stage and I had to get back in the elevator to go back to get her mic, right? And we have like two minutes. So I, the elevator opens and um, we get in. The elevator, like, like as I look in, it's like um, Jay-Z and Beyonce. And I look at, I think it's only Jay-Z. And I look at the elevator guy and I'm like, I gotta go down. And he's like, we're going up. And it's because he needs to go up. And I'm like, we're going down. <laughs> and I push the button and my friend Froggy goes, you're either never gonna work in this business again or you're gonna be the greatest executive ever. And I remember thinking, oh my God, I just went the opposite way of where Jay-Z needed to go. And I just remember thinking, that's live TV. You like live TV. Like you've, you've got one job and one job only. And guess what? I got her on stage in time with that mic. But it was it was a really it was like really it was my it was actually my my last hurrah at MTV. And that story is actually special because that night not only was it like my last night, but it felt like um, kind of like full circle to be able to come to New York, kind of like unaware of what the city was and and how busy and crazy Times Square is to being able to navigate especially around somebody that is like such a marquee gigantic name and own it and um be able to leave the city and be like i did this right like i came in yes. i had to go through times square and now here i am doing this yeah there you go so, and that's the story of sarah that's the story of sarah all right well where can people follow you do you want them to follow you um i'm at sarah cant at the vor without the cant at the vor because it doesn't fit oh <laughs> Oh, okay. But I was like, there is an N, right? Because I have an N. Right? <laughs> There's an N. And really, Instagram's really at where I'm at. Like, I don't, I don't, uh, one day we'll do a conversation about Twitter and how I'm old and don't understand it. Um, so I'm really Instagram. Do you want to hear a really sad thing that I realized today? I do. Pete Wentz hasn't tweeted since June of last year. It's because his heart's broken that he hasn't been able to actually marry me. <laughs> wow. I love it. I love it. I love it. That's a great I love response. It. I love it. Thank you. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate this. It was so fun. You guys can follow myself at Folia Jade and Cassie at Cassie Petrie. You can also follow our socials for the show at How I Got Backstage and I Got Backstage. 
This episode has been edited by Hannah Humphreys and produced by Crowdsurf with music by Cody Falcosky.